Today we're talking about using homeschool communities to enhance and supplement what you're doing at home. Welcome to the Simply Charlotte Mason podcast. I'm Sonia Schaefer. You know, sometimes homeschooling can feel like a lonely job. You're doing your own thing within your four walls and you never see anybody else. So it's great that homeschoolers are forming communities. Today we want to talk about some of the pros and cons and what that might look like. And joining me for that discussion is my friend Amber O'Neill Johnston. Amber, it's good to have you back. Thank you. So glad to be here. Tell me, I know you have a lot of experience with communities. I do. It's something that uh, we've been doing from the very beginning, but it's looked different every year or two. So my family were always a part of at least one community, but exactly which community that is changes over time. So how have they changed? What kind of communities have you belonged to? Let's put it that way. Well, when my kids were really young, um, we were mostly, I was mostly focused on play, play dates. And so a lot of um, times I was looking for groups of moms who were interested in meeting at the park and playing. And not that I never do that anymore, but I'm a little bit further away from that because I only have one guy that kind of is interested in that anymore. And so as time went on, I tended to look for what my family was into, and we would do more of that. So at one point, we were doing a nature group, and we would meet weekly and go on different trails and hikes and things. Those were things my family was enjoying or that my family does enjoy, but our hikes were getting stale, and I wanted to experience more of what was in my area, but I personally don't feel comfortable during the day being out on the trails alone when I don't know where I am or what I'm doing with my kids. And so I thought, well, let me meet up with other families, and we'll all go out and explore some uncharted territory um, together. And so that year was really about finding new trails. So that's just like one example. Um, there have been other times where I've looked for where I feel like I have a deficit in terms of teaching, and I'll try to connect with other moms who are really good in that area and say, can I tag along with you? And we'll end up having just a small group, maybe three families, maybe four families. So that's how my children were introduced to Sloyd and watercolor and some of the other things, me meeting up with other families that were really good. They were jamming in those areas. And so I kind of picked that as an opportunity for those years. I remember once uh, we teamed up with one other family because she was really good at foreign language. Yes. And so we had her doing the foreign language with my kids. And then she had me doing the hymn study and the music aspect of it with her kids. So it just worked real, real well. A lot of times when we have what you call a deficit or a yes. weak area, um, my first instinct is often, well, what do I need to learn to shore that up? Yes. You know, how can I get better in that? And there's something to be said for that, but sometimes it's good, too, to say, who can help me with that? That's been a huge part of our group, like finding our groups and finding who our people are at a time, a, a place and time. And, you know, it's interesting. I find both end up happening. So I'm going to lean into this other mother and I'll share what I'm good at with her children. She'll share with my children. But watching someone else teach my children something that I'm not familiar with has made me better at teaching that subject and giving me more confidence as well. So sometimes you just need to be able to watch how someone else does something that you don't know anything about. Um, so that's been really fun. But this year, we're not doing that. So this year, you know, I was like, well, let's stay closer to home and 
kind of focus on some of the projects. We were really going deeply in some of our handicrafts. So my tween is really into some of her things and wanted some time to just explore without um, having to leave the house or having to be somewhere at a certain time. So we pulled back in that area, but we've leaned into what I'll call micro-local community in that we live in an area that is the traffic is horrendous. And so something, somebody that's not that far away it can take a really long time to get to them. Mm. And so I really started focusing on my hyper-local community, and I ended up forming a group um, based on that. And so that is the need that it's fulfilling, that we can get to people quickly, other homeschoolers, for a dash in, hang out, and dash back home without feeling like we have to commit to an entire day. As you were talking about looking and watching other moms teach your kids, it seems like we can glean and gain so much from this community with other people because it's not just the skills or the content, but you're also learning from who that person is and how she interacts with her own children and some of her past experiences that you have a chance, you get to know her as a person and you're learning from her character as well. So. I can see a lot of ways that these connections with people can benefit us and our children. What are some ways, some other ways that you've seen these communities add to your family, add to your children? Well, you know, kind of to piggyback on what you just said, definitely from getting to know the mom, her character, and how she's pouring into her family and mine, I have a specific instance where being able to build relationship with other women was helpful for one of my children. Mm. So it's going to seem like a, a petty thing, but it was a big deal to her that I was buying her clothes that she did not want to wear. So I have a certain style in my mind of little girl clothes, and she was like, I don't want to wear those little girl clothes. I want to pick my own clothes. And we were kind of having some friction there. And it was really interesting me, to me one day when a friend pulled me aside, and she's like, hey, can I talk to you about something? And I was like, okay. And she said, you know, your daughter came and told me that you know you made her wear this today, and that's kind of where she's been in a little sullen mood. And we talked about it a little bit. And she, I want to share some of the things that she shared with me. And she did. And it was eye-opening for me. And she said, would you ever consider letting her pick her own clothes? And I'm like, yes, in fact, I would. And it was just, it felt good for me to have a peer come alongside me and kind of give me a different, a way to reframe some friction I'd been having with my daughter. And I know that she was able to go to her because of the time we had spent together in yes. these groups. So there is a, a level of mentorship that can occur between the mothers and children across families that's something you can't plan, you can't pay for. It's something that only comes, it's born from time spent together. So I think that would definitely um, be a benefit. Um, also, I think for sometimes as a homeschoolers, we're so used to doing everything exactly the way we want it. And a lot of times that can make things. Isn't that why we choose to homeschool? Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, so maybe we could be, we're like that a little bit sometimes. And what I've seen with my children, though, is they're used to everything catering to exactly where they are. Mm. Oh, you're really into art right now? I will take you and we'll dive deeply into these experiences. Oh, you're really into music or you want to be in this math on this math competition team or whatever it is. 
And I find that when we're in a group, sometimes we're not gonna do exactly what you want to do today. We're going to do what the group is doing today and that maybe you'll learn something from it. Maybe you'll just accept it and you'll go with it and work on having um, a good attitude about doing something that someone else is passionate about today. Mm -hmm. And I find that we didn't have that many opportunities for that when we were staying home more. And being in a group has done that for the children and quite honestly for me too. There are times of the group and I'm like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing today. But it's good for me as well because I can get stuck in that too. I'm the homeschool mom. I'm in charge of everything. I make all the decisions. And sometimes, you know what, I need to go with the flow. And um, so I feel like that's another benefit of being part of a group, learning to be flexible and gracious when things aren't exactly the way that you want them to be. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And sometimes we feel like our kids get enough practice with that if we have more than one child. Yeah. (laughs) But it's not the same. No, it's different outside of the family. You know, the way that my my children, thankfully, do not speak to other people outside of the family that way. Um, And they tend to be more patient with people outside of the family than they are with their siblings. And also, they're having to deal with people who don't know them so intimately. So my children can sometimes push each other's buttons outside, there isn't an assumption that someone's pushing your buttons. They're just being themselves. And you need to figure out how relationships work, the give and take, um, and kind of that push and pull working and and doing something alongside someone who doesn't know you and isn't pushing your buttons. They're just being themselves. And you need to work with that. When you were talking about the different types of groups that you've been a part of over the years, it sounds like you're not getting locked in where this is the type of group we're going to do and we're going to do it for all the years we're homeschooling. That's it. And some of the change in the freedom to change in those groups comes from your family as their needs change, as the kids grow older. Yes, that has been, I I basically reevaluate our groups and what we're going to participate in kind of in the beginning of each year. There's sometimes shifting even during the year if something's not working or I find out about something that I think would be good for us. But typically I'm making a decision and committing to a group for a year at a time. And sometimes I find that we don't need that particular group anymore. And oftentimes we are taking the friendships that were forged there and now those friendships are so solidified that they no longer need to revolve around a set time and place. Um, and sometimes it's that we kind of got what we were going to get out of that. Sometimes we've, we've moved several times, even within our metro area. So what was hyper-local is no longer hyper-local. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't like to drive, so that is a driver for me. Um, sometimes finances have driven kind of what we're participating in in a given year um, and also what we're focusing on with our school lessons. So I may want to go deeply into one certain type of group because I know I'm not going as deeply there at home with my lessons this year or vice versa. I want to lean into something because we're going for it this year. We're going to do this thing. And I may want to lean into that with the support of a group. So I try to look at it. Um, I do try to commit for a year, but I don't feel stuck with that. I do think continuity helps because of the relationship forming. Yes. Um, but it, our group situation changes every year. And also sometimes you have to let go of something in order to pull something else in because otherwise you have too much of a good thing. Well, and it sounds like you're using groups as another resource option That's it. rather than a dependency um, 
I have to have this or I'm a bad mommy or I have to have this for other reasons. No matter what it looks like, we have to have this. Right. And when you get into that dependency mindset, it's easy to, as you said, overload. That's it. And I, I think that for me, I'm looking to see how can these groups that I may choose to be in, or maybe it's just one group, some years it's more than one group, how is that enhancing our program, our family, and what we're trying to achieve, our goals, versus the group centering and then me fitting other things around it? That's a key. Okay, right there. So that yes. is a different, it's a shift. So I kind of look at, this is our family, this is what we're doing. Where can we plug in with groups that are that are going to help build on that? And I think that sometimes when you plan everything around the group itself, if things don't go well in the group or your expectations aren't met, if the group fails or something else happens, there starts to feel you, you can start to feel like now my homeschooling's messed up. Everything collapsed because mm -hmm. the core collapsed. And so I would recommend that the core be home and that the groups can come and go and nice to have, but if I don't, that's okay too. It really helps in terms of maintaining consistency for the kids and for your mental health in terms of where the, you're feeling successful and confident about your homeschooling. And sometimes if you go to the other extreme where we are centering everything around this group, that the group is main, is the main thing, it's easy to start adding in other groups. Like, this one's going to be the main thing for the social aspect, and this one's going to be the main thing for the literature aspect, and I'm going to add this one in for the nature study aspect. And then you spend your whole week running here and there, and you're never home yes. <laughs> for the homeschooling. Well, I think that can happen very easily, particularly with Charlotte Mason families, because we are doing our short lessons and because our children do have opportunities to pursue passions and afternoon occupations, we see white space on our calendars, our schedules, and feel like, oh, look at all this I can fill up. And when we do that, we have a couple of things. One, we're not home for our lessons, and so you have a temptation to jam-pack and try to do more or make the lessons longer than they ought to be or do more than what should fit into a day because you're still trying to do all the things, but you're rarely home. And you're, and you're pushing your kids, come yes. on, let's get this done, come on, yes. come on, we have to leave. And then you're wondering, okay, what am I really doing? Yeah. And the other thought and problem that I've seen creep up with me, and I'm glad that I noticed it, is that that actually isn't white space. That is a time, it's an intentional time for the children to be pursuing things that interested them during their morning lessons or things that they would like to go deeper into. And so when that, what looks like free time on my calendar is taken up with scheduled activities, even good ones, then I actually am taking away from part of the Charlotte Mason lessons. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That reminds me of a book I recently was reading, how it's so easy in today's culture to never have time alone with your own thoughts mm -hmm. because we have so much information always coming at us. And if we have any white space, perceived white space on our calendar, we usually whip out our phone Mm -hmm. and yes. look for someone else's thoughts to come at us. And it's so easy for us to then project that idea on our children. 
and never give them time to be alone with their thoughts as well. But it's so important it as part of their education. Charlotte talked about that the, the feast we're spreading is the same as a food feast for the body. We're spreading a feast for the mind. And just as you give the children time with a food feast, they eat it, they take what they are ready for, and then they give their body time to digest it. It's the same thing with the mind. We're, we're spreading this feast and letting them take what they're ready for. We've got to give them time to process it. That's so true. I'm a dietitian, so you're speaking to my heart oh. right now. <laughs> so it's like part of my past life. But um, yeah, no, that's it's really true. And I think one of the gifts we can give them as mothers is to help them protect what they may not realize as a gift. Um, because some children have a bent. I know I was like that, to want to go and do and do and do and do. Yes. Um, and so it, it helps if we can help them have those opportunities, those do-nothing times. And um, it takes intention, I think. Yeah, it's you might have to guide them as right. to what do I do in this you know, unstructured time. Right. I remember in the beginning having a list of things to do in our in your time when you're not doing anything and you know at first I was like this is so peculiar I feel like I'm prescribing and I said but she needs this she's asking me she doesn't know like what do I do right now and so I had this list when you feel that way go over to this list on the wall and look at all the different avenues you might be able to take and see now I don't need the list anymore yes so I think that you have to have a lot of open time and groups can easily suck that up. The other thing that I've fallen prey to is thinking, oh, this group only meets on Tuesdays from 1 to 3. No, because now you have to pack a lunch because the kids are eating in the car on the way there, and you have the commute and setup time, and then you don't leave at 3.01. You're outside talking, and then the kids are playing, and then and then you're on your way home. You didn't prep dinner, and, you know, it backs up, and now bedtime's later, and, you know, it, it's never 1 to 3. And so that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean I don't do groups, but I'm much more realistic now to say that if we're leaving the house this day, that's a, that's, that's about it. You know, we might get some things done earlier, but once we come home, the day's kaput. And so I need to be realistic about what that means for our family schedule. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And knowing that, that experience helps you make those choices and those decisions about which groups are going to enhance your core studies in your home this particular during this particular season of life. Definitely. And you know, one more thing I was thinking, we were talking about the children, but I remember a couple of years I was in a mom's group. So it had nothing to do with the children. We met once a month at night, and that was a totally different aspect. Mm -hmm. That was a homeschooling group, but it was for me. And so, you know, you have those opportunities as well. And those can be invigorating and helpful to parents to keep going, to keep learning for themselves. But you also need to put that in perspective. When you say yes to something, yeah. you're saying no to something else. Well, that's it. I was in it for two years. Great group. I still recommend it to other people, but I'm not in it now because my I started to covet my evenings. Mm -hmm. And I started to have more pre-reading and more prep for lessons. And I find that the evening before, I need to be home. That's just where I am right now in this season. So I think, yeah, even for, for the children, there, there are seasons for this and a season for that and, and for the parents as well. Um, but I just think that m slowing down and not just grasping at every good group, there's so many good ones. Thankfully, yeah, thankfully, the homeschooling community is growing. We have choices now. 
and um, just taking some time to think about it, seeing how that group fits into your the rest of your plans for the term or for the school year, and talking to your kids, talking to your spouse, and see kind of where you land. Thanks. You're welcome. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also subscribe to the audio version or you can read the blog post on our website at simplycharlottemason.com. All of those links will be in the show notes. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time.